Hello, welcome to the very first episode of Bodices and Corsets, The Nevers Podcast, a podcast on the weekly television series The Nevers on HBO Max. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A., and with me in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about you? I, I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, we do have a, a third co-host, which will be joining us on episode two, but he could not make episode one uh, for personal reasons. Uh, he is Kevin from St. Louis. Uh, the three of us are probably well known to other folks who have possibly stumbled upon us on our podcast, A Discovery of Witches, Demons, and Vampires, the podcast, a podcast on the television series, A Discovery of Witches on Shudder Television. Uh, we just wrapped that series up about a month ago, and uh, we are now doing a new series on The Nevers on HBO Max. And once again, that is Bodices and Corsets, the podcast about The Nevers television series. Um, now, uh, before we get into uh, the show and what we're going to focus on, uh, just for people who stumbled upon us, we are part of the Dark Discussions News Network, which is www.darkdiscussions.com. It is a tel- uh, a all-news network on the internet that has release notices, columns, reviews, podcasts, all sorts of things. If you follow film news and genre news uh, some site that you would probably want to check out daily because it's updated always and often once again it's darkdiscussions.com we also have a Facebook group called Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group and we do have an email darkdiscussions at aol.com or press the contact us form on the website we also have a Patreon where you can donate to the, the network since everything is free and we do not make any money uh, so if you want to donate that would be great if you do donate, uh, you have an option to have one of us, one of our side podcasts, the Dark Discussions Podcast, do an episode on a movie of your choice. So for every $5 that you donate each month, you can uh, put in a list. So if you put, donate $15 for the month of April, you would get three choices, or you could just choose one choice three times. And then at the end of the quarter, or every quarter, we pick out of a hat and we uh, then do an episode on that topic. And that topic usually is a movie. Uh, so you can do that by going to darkdiscussions.com and press the Patreon button. Or just go to darkdiscussions.com's Patreon's page, which is patreon.com backslash darkdiscussions. Also, if you email us, uh, we will read your email on the podcast. So feedback on the television series, The Nevers, Feedback on the podcast, Otises and Corsets or any other things related to uh, this television series, uh, email us and we will read it on the podcast. All right, that's pretty much that. Um, So, uh, Barrett, uh, we actually uh, did another podcast about another television show just recently, too, and we just wrapped that up. What was that? Don't tell me, I'll tell you, the Stand podcast. Yep, on the the Paramount Plus, or at the time, CBS All Access, a television series. And so we we did a weekly episodes on that. Uh, So for this podcast here, Bodices and Corsets, the podcast, uh, we are planning to do a discussion weekly on each episode of the television series. Uh, This television series, The Nethers, has six episodes that are 
going to come out uh, weekly, and so we're going to discuss all of them. Uh, rumors has it it will continue for another six in the future, but again, it all depends on uh, how it does, uh, because it could be six and done. We, we really don't know, but we decided to take a chance on it, especially since uh, one of our the co-hosts, uh, Kevin, who's not on tonight's episode, uh, is a big steampunk steam punk fan, and uh, the show uh, is most certainly uh, steampunky. Uh, it also is, is one of the few shows that I know uh, that are of that genre, uh, which also includes dark fantasy, uh, urban fantasy, and mystical realism. Um, anything other things of note about uh, the podcast and how we're going to go about discussing things, Barrett? Uh, no, I, I think you pretty much covered it all right there. Um, we'll, you know, start out kind of generally, and then we will be giving spoilers. So, you know, if you don't want if you haven't seen the episode yet, stop now and go watch the episode unless you don't mind getting spoilers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, because we don't just review each episode. We critique and dissect scenes and whatnot as well as review. Um, the podcast, Botuses and Corsets, the Devers podcast, uh, may be odd to you at first because it's why are we able to have two episodes back to back in the first week? Uh, the reason for that is, is because uh, this was a late uh, decision by us to do a podcast on this television series. After we wrapped up Discovery of Witches, Demons, and Vampires, the podcast, we were looking around for possible other. Uh, shows to do a podcast on and this one eventually popped up um, and it, at the last moment we decided hey let's let's do this one especially when Kevin uh, heard that it was steampunk uh, so we're doing uh, two recordings back to back uh, back to back nights as well uh, to discuss episodes one and episodes two and then going forward after that you will have an episode weekly until the first six episodes are done then there yeah. is going to oh, go on. Yep. Uh, I wanted to say we're doing more discussion about what we watch um, after the stand podcast, because while we enjoyed doing that podcast, I think we both would have stopped doing it much earlier because it was not a very good show. So we're trying to be a little more picky in what we decide to do. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in the past, we've done a few shows, uh, including the Stan Podcast, which was Don't Tell Me, I'll Tell You, the Stan Podcast, as well as a dis- um, uh, a Travel Guide to Lovecraft Country, uh, the podcast based off of the HBO Max television series uh, Lovecraft Country. And um, both of those shows, The Stand and Lovecraft Country, um, all the co-hosts were somewhat disappointed with those shows. And after the, those shows, we've decided to be a little more careful about going into uh, a podcast uh, blind like we did in those shows because uh, yeah um, the stand and lo- even Lovecraft Country at least I'll, I'll speak for myself and, and for Kevin too I'm sure maybe even you Barrett um, we probably would have stopped the podcast mid through had we or not even done it had we had known in advance uh, the quality and again that doesn't mean people don't like those shows it just didn't work for at least me I'll say for specifically yeah, I mean, The Stand was really the catalyst for me. Lovecraft Country, while 
I did not quite enjoy it as much as I think one of the co-hosts. Um, I still, I, it didn't turn me off. <laughs> there were still episodes I really enjoyed. Um, but the stand, I enjoyed pretty much none of the episodes. <laughs> so that one was definitely my catalyst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, and uh, that's fair because uh, myself and our co-host Mike, who was the one of the co-hosts on the Lovecraft podcast, um, did Amer- Searching for American Gods, American Gods podcast, and we did the first two seasons, and we went in blind, and we we didn't like that show at all, and uh, we decided to cancel the podcast when season three came up. Um, so. Ironically, yeah, that show has been canceled since too. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and and rightfully so because it was terrible. Yeah. Uh, though, again, that's just my personal opinion. Um, I'm sure some people who watch the show uh, or those who do watch it, the few hundred thousand that do, think it's a good show. But but uh, yeah, I, I was not one of them. Um. So, uh, for this show here, uh, first off, let's uh, let folks know when we're recording this. We're recording this on April 18th, 2021. Uh, so, later on tonight, episode two is coming on. We're going to watch that tonight. And then tomorrow, uh, the 19th of April, 2021, we're going to talk about that, too. And so, we're going to try to get both of these episodes out as soon as possible. Um, so, uh, we're hoping to get this one out uh, tomorrow, and then the one on the 19th out uh, on the 20th. So, uh, back to back episodes, Monday and Tuesday. Um, and then from going forward, we're going to probably get the episodes out on Thursdays because we're going to record them, I believe on Thursday, I mean, Wednesday nights. Um, so just heads up. So expect, uh, episodes on the 19th, the 20th, and then on the 29th will be the third episode of this podcast for folks who listen. Um, all right, so I guess we can get into some further details about the show. Um, all right, let's talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> Josh Whedon? Josh yeah. Whedon? So, yeah, so um, I, I am actually, I was a fan of Josh Whedon's work. I'll never say that I am a fan of the person because what they do in their personal lives doesn't necessarily translate to what appears on screen or in an acting performance or whatever. Um, a lot has come out about him, uh, things that he ways that he treated his wife. That was a little while ago, you know, before this. And now there's, there's some things being said about how he treated uh, Ray Fisher on the set of justice league. Um, when he took that over from uh, Zack Snyder and Things even that was have been said by people that he said to Gal Gadot um, about threatening her career and things like that. Um, there's always been this undercurrent about Joss Whedon that he's not the greatest guy, that he treats people kind of badly. And, I mean, at some point you have to believe where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, he does sound like a bully. Um, I don't. I think he treats everyone poorly, it sounds like. I don't know that he's, you know anti-woman necessarily he may treat women worse because he's a man um but yeah i think that you know he he is definitely a bully from what it sounds like um some of the things that he's done um but you know i wasn't there i can't really judge him as a person and i still like his work and 
you know, I'm going to separate that from him. I know some people can't do that, but that's, I am capable of doing that and don't mind doing that. So. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. Some of his other stuff go back as far as you said, his, his, his wife, but even also his earlier television shows, uh, as, as we've discussed, uh, offline or, or read offline uh his shows like buffy and angel and and, and stuff uh, dollhouse is another one yeah um so all three of those shows actors and actresses on those shows have said very uh bad things were done to them and that includes everything from bullying to even uh um issues where underage girls were uh, were kept away from him and actually had guards to prevent him from being whatever that means we don't know but we we just know that uh he's had a lot of issues in the past uh this includes people like uh Eliza Dushku uh Michelle Sarah Michelle Geller have come out uh Charisma Carpenter Chris that's the one I was looking for yeah that was a big one Tra- uh Trackenberg oh yeah, she was the underage girl that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Michelle Trachtenberg. Summer, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Summer Glow may have said something. I, I don't know, but or Glow, however you pronounce her name. Uh, but either way, um, yeah, he's he, there's some some issues. Uh, also, people have uh, have complained about his political views, uh, not specifically because he is obviously a progressive liberal, but because he has been called by numerous people, including on the left, a white knight, meaning yeah. a, a male, <laughs> Caucasian, white, heterosexual, who overly defends uh, those that are disenfranchised to the point of being a caricature and a joke. Um, and, and that's what people have said about him. Also, if you have followed him on Twitter, uh, well, no... And even if you are a liberal and progressive and agree with many things he says, the way he says things on Twitter have been pretty derogatory and, and hateful and, and even disgusting, in my opinion. So I've always hated the man. I've never liked him at all. Well, and you, you have to ask yourself, if he treated Ray Frisch Fisher the way Ray Fisher says that he did, um, is he really a progressive or is he just like, this is what he says he is? Um, right. He just treats people poorly and he's a bully and he doesn't sound like a great person. So no matter what his politics are, if you're a bad person, you're still a bad person. You don't treat people good, <laughs> you know, but on the yeah. other hand, he has, he has helped a lot of careers. There are a lot of people that, you know, owe their continued careers and their careers to him because his shows were extremely popular and gave them their first chance to really hit it big. So, yeah, I, I, I've, I've heard that, too, though. Um, a lot of people have said the same thing about Harvey Weinstein, you know, like, like Kevin Smith and a few others have said, you know, if it wasn't for Harvey Weinstein, I, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. However, that doesn't yeah. that doesn't matter. Doesn't because, mitigate what they do. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that he is, you know, Harvey Weinstein is just he's a rapist and whatever else he is. Right. I, I, you know, I don't know that he's been convicted yet of anything. Was he, I'm sure he was. Yeah, I think he was, yeah. but, but you know, I do see a distinct difference between what we know about Weinstein and what we know about Joss Whedon. So far there hasn't been like allegations that were sexual that came out aside from a possible 
generality about, you know, the underage person you're talking about. But I still think that's based on his bullying, not anything else. Sure, sure, sure. Either either way, uh, based off of all of that, it appears that uh, people, both actors, actresses, screenwriters, and producers, all knew about this because yeah, when you're when you're his very first popular show, uh, where Trachtenberg was working, and they everybody knew had to know that yep. he was not allowed to be in the same room with her unless the guards were there makes me say, okay, if this was anybody else in any other profession, they would, they would be fired. Right. Cause any profession where you have to work with somebody under age, you're not, if you have to be, have guards, you shouldn't be in that profession. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that, that's not good. That's not good. No. That so, means you either treat them really bad or there's something wrong with you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is interesting what you said, because Ray Fisher, folks who don't know who he is, he's a, a person of color. Um, and, and as we know, women are hugely important in his his uh, programs um, because there are a lot of them are leads and whatnot. And and, there, you know, there's there's uh, Gail Goddard is, is a. Uh, uh, Jewish folk, and so you know, you, all that stuff added together with his white knight appearance um, and his progressive views. It, it, it's very bizarre. Uh, for folks who, who are curious, he is not that it may matter because there's a lot of folk who have been lucky enough to be born into wealthy family and known families. Josh Whedon is, I guess to say it blatantly is, is silver spooned. So he's, he's been entitled his whole life. So that may be part of the reason, but we do know a lot of people who have been entitled and been born to privilege. Don't act like this. Right. Yep. Yep. So it, it shouldn't be an excuse. No. Um, so yeah, that's, so that's that. And there are a lot of silver spoon in Hollywood. We know that, but we also meet a lot that aren't. And you know, in our, interviews with people in the horror genre so we know that there you know there's just as yeah. many that are struggling in the in the business and doing yeah. well yeah oh yeah oh yeah yeah and and, and as a i mean obviously uh, there's multiple generations of families in hollywood so it, it's nothing new josh Wheaton right. is not is not a an exception you know that's yeah. generally uh and it's not necessarily the rule but it's very common that uh, a child of someone in Hollywood may also have a career in Hollywood and be somewhat successful. Yep. Um, and arguably you can argue that Josh Whedon has been more successful than his family members, his, his parents. So, um, well, and this was one of our big discussions about whether we wanted to do this podcast or not, because he was involved in it. And I think ultimately we came down on the side of, there's a lot of people that work on this. He also left it at the end. Um, of production and isn't coming back to it. It sounds like, no, he's uh, gone. so we want to support the people that are doing the show and you know, what we saw of the first episode looks really good and promising. So, you know, I want to support those people cause there's some good actors in this show and there's some good writers from what I can tell. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Example of, of that was, um, and I won't say the name of the website, but there was a website that, um, had a review about a film called Josie 
uh, Josie is, in my opinion, is a pretty good thriller, uh, starring uh, Sophie Turner, uh, one of her roles right after uh, Game of Thrones, or, or actually during Game of Thrones, uh, and also uh, the lead actor from season one of American Horror Story. Uh, what's his name? Oh, I forget his Dylan name. Dylan McDermott? Yeah, yeah. Is he the guy that was in Clove Hitch Killer too? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, still yeah. yeah. So, so it had a pretty good cast, Josie, uh, but the, and the director was a pretty decent director too. He he did Contracted, Design. Oh yeah, I love love that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really good movie. Um, however, there's been some allegations that came out about that director, yeah. and so when that happened, this website pulled their review and wrote in its place how they support women and that we won't review movies uh from these type of you know abusers and whatever et cetera et cetera et cetera of course they they still have done josh whedon films and they still have done weinstein so you know, it's it's all hypocritical and what sophie Uh, turner's supposed to do she already did the acting it's not her fault that this guy has whatever allegations Right, right. And we just discussed recently on another podcast about um, uh, Color Out of Space, the director on that movie, is now canceled because of same things. But does that mean no one's going to watch that film anymore? It's still a damn good film. So, yeah, so with Sophie Turner and McDermott and all the people, the cameraman, the editor, the sound man, the costume designer, the, the set designer, the the composer are they all to blame because the director was a scumbag assuming quote unquote scumbag because again everybody still has a right to trial but right exactly that too until he's convicted you know allegations are allegations right exactly so yeah so it, I, I i actually wrote to the website and said i thought it was disgraceful because there's thousands of people that worked on this movie and you're canceling your review over one person and and what they should have done was put a disclaimer at the top that they don't agree with him but we still reviewed the movie they that still exists yes exactly is it like they're taking away history that they did something by that's just ridiculous right (laughs) and especially since the (laughs) sophie turner and all these other people had nothing to do with whatever he's done in the past this this director right and if it was in the past, not during the movie, even if it was during the movie, if you know, the, it's not the movie's fault. Bad right. people can still create good things. Right, right, right. It, exactly. It, that doesn't mean you have to hire him after the fact. <laughs> right, was, exactly. Yeah. Once you find out, OK, that's fine. Don't hire him again. But, right. you know, just to get rid of a movie that lots of people worked on, that's just crazy. Indeed. Indeed. So sorry for, for this side topic. Uh, about the, uh, you know, because people that are tuning in are here to listen about our discussion of the nevers. Um, But again, it's important. It's important on why, why we decided to do the podcast and what kind of discussions we had about doing this podcast. Right. And and another reason why it took us extra long to decide to do it, because I originally nixed the idea when, when Barrett said, Phil, FYI, it's a Josh Whedon. And then, I came back because I remembered the Josie thing and that specifically, that's the reason why I came back to you Barrett. And I actually wrote to you that he may be the bad guy, but there's still dozens of and hundreds of people that worked on this have nothing to do with this guy. Yep. And once it came out, 
they shouldn't be penalized. And HBO Max, even though they probably knew this guy was a bad guy based off of, you know, we, we talked about the Trachtenberg thing and guards. They did the right thing and they got rid of him. More is known than we know about at the top levels. You know that for sure. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like Firefly is one of my favorite all-time shows ever. That's never sure. going to change no matter what, you know, Joss Whedon could be a complete piece of crap i'm still gonna love that show and i'll still watch it again because it's so good um oh yeah i I can say that about uh repulsion and rosemary's baby yep those are great films i love those films uh but if i if i saw um you know uh, roman polanski I, I would do a citizen's arrest immediately, even if it included making sure that he's knocked out unconscious by my fist. Yep. You know, so that, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to watch those films again because those are damn good films. Right. So, all right. So I think we got that out of the way. All yep. right. <laughs> um, now for the critical response to this, it was interesting. And before it came out, it was getting 70 something percent good reviews. And that was because of the uh, obviously limited people who got to see it. Um, And then when it finally came out and the critics, all the critics got to see it, um, it's dropped down to 49%. I totally Um, disagree with that. Well, (laughs) I haven't seen anything but the first episode, but based on the first episode, I thought it was great. Well, that, that's what it says here. Uh, for example, um, despite strong performances and stellar production design, the never struggles to stitch its slew of intriguing components into a solid show. And then it says here, the Nevers is a joy to watch and a thrill to follow supernatural realism, complex storytelling, fantastical powers, and trop- topical realities meet in this smart, suspenseful, and colorful production. A literary of nuanced characters keeps the otherworldly tales grounded, suspenseful, sleuthing, and action-packed battles move the story along at a rapid clip, and all the lush scenery, ambitious wardrobe along the way. And so that's a positive review. Yeah, positive. I agree with that positive review. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, the negative review, that was by LA Times. The negative review was just Hollywood Reporter wrote, um, in desperate need of focus, and as episodes progress, and this is where I'm worried. More and more characters are added in the connection to the richest thematic throughout thorough line become increasingly tenuous. So he says, however, uh, the directing and production values and design and costumes are excellent. So, yeah, so we got to hope that as episode two, three, four, and five and six show up, it just doesn't keep on getting worse because, like you said, the first episode, I think both me and you are on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we've seen many shows where that has been the case, where the best is always the first, except for the stand, of course. Yeah. And that was terrible. That was like horrendous. Um, but this, sh- but we've seen other shows where the episode one is good, and then it, it suddenly goes, "What the hell happened?" So fingers crossed. Well, and this is where I have a problem. I wish they actually didn't give extra episodes to these critics. I don't want them to be able to tell me what it's, how good or bad it's going to be before I watch it. Right. Don't tell me. I'll tell you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Because they're, they've seen five episodes and they're saying it's overstuffed and muddled. I see one thing here. Um, you know, it, it felt there was nothing confusing about it for me. Which I enjoy. <laughs> Again, it was the first one episode, though. 
Right, right. But I mean, like, you watch Westworld, which I love, I I can easily lose track of what's going on. (laughs) But I didn't feel that way in this Yeah. And I like when I can focus and I know what's going on. (laughs) Right, right, right. That's fair. That's fair. Again, we're only... We only know what we saw in the first episode, right? So maybe some of these critics are right. Maybe, maybe yeah, the fifty-one percent are right, and we just we'll just have. To, I'm thinking it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'm hoping <laughs> because it seems like you you flip a coin, right? And one critic's going to like it, and one's going to hate it. Yeah. So, and even some of the positive reviews aren't really that positive because they they have like positive reviews that are the, the red tomato, the fresh tomato, that are three out of five stars, which is average, right? Well, and I so, think some, some of them are going to be influenced by people's dislike of Joss Whedon. Whether he's still working on it or not, they're going to associate it with him. I mean, you look at the Wikipedia, and his name is all over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll tell you one thing. This, it, this is very Josh Whedon show. Yeah, I mean, you can tell if if I didn't see it, if that it was him, I, I would have said to you, this is kind of like a Josh Whedon thing, and it, it, it much it was because again, the first six episodes do have a lot of his fingerprints on it. When they marketed it, they yanked his name completely, so the only yep. place you ever see his name is at the end credits when it says directed, written, and produced, um, because. This this episode was his written and he wrote he wrote and he directed it and obviously he was the show creator, um, but that's it that's all you get because yeah the HBO was trying to uh, yeah stay away from uh, his name because his name at, at this time is is not good yeah and probably won't be ever again. <laughs> well and I think <laughs> none of those critics want to associate themselves with him by saying it's a good show. So I think that's going to affect what they say. Yeah, that's true. And 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 you know what? Some some of the fans love this guy, and I I know a lot of people hate him now, and rightfully so if if the allegations are all true. Um, but there is going to be fanboys that will will defend him until they die. So uh, the audience score is at seventy seven percent. And again, I'm assuming that's only off episode one. And if it's off of episode one. That's the legitimate score, I think, and it isn't necessarily just fanboys, because again, episode one, where you and I probably agree, is, is a good episode. So, it is a curiosity. To, it'll be curious to see that audience score to see if it changes. Uh, actually, as I just refreshed; it's now down to forty-eight percent. So it just dropped <laughs> again. So That's this funny. Must have been, yeah, that is kind of funny. That is wow. Right into today, those live updates. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, but as we've discussed in the past, but for obviously different reasons, uh, well, actually not necessarily different reasons, but just general, we, to the, the critic reviews and the regular audience reviews are so different in many of these shows. Lovecraft Country is an, exa- an excellent example of that, where mm-hmm. um, the critics gave it like 80% or 78%, and it even won an award for best science fiction show of last year or something. And if you look at the critics, uh, the audience reviews, it's down closer to like 50 something percent. And then if you look at the stand, the stand, it was like 25% of the audience thought it was good. Meaning everybody thought it sucked basically. Well, yeah. the critics said it, it 
was like 46% or 47%, so they didn't like it either. But that gap of extra 20 or 30% of critics liking that show shows you the, the big difference. We've discussed on prior shows, why is that? And one reason I've mentioned is that a lot of people review films now based off of their personal beliefs and not whether a show is good. So if you, for example, uh, portray uh, poor white folk in the Ozarks as good people, and you're a liberal progressive from a city who believes that there's white privilege, you're going to say, oh, this movie sucks, rather than say, is this a good piece of art or not? And and vice versa, you know, you can say the opposite for, you know, but most critics we can argue, obviously agree, are progressive liberals that live in cities. Um, so that makes one thing, while audiences are, are everywhere, yep. they, you know, so, so you're going to get a better uh, uh, idea of, of stuff. Now, audience scores, as I mentioned, too, can be faked, too, because we got fanboys and, or fangirls, if you prefer. Fan, fan people, um, because they will support Star Wars, they'll support Star Trek, they'll support Game of Thrones, they'll support Marvel, they'll support DC, they'll support Josh Whedon, they'll support George Lucas, they'll support, you know, on and on and on forever and ever. And they're going to say something is great just because it's a, now part of their identity as a person. Well, and we and have to remember... So, we have to remember what shows up on, say, Rotten Tomatoes, for example, are the people that are likely to do that type of thing. So yeah. you, you come from a biased direction immediately. Yes. Absolutely. So what that means, or what we're trying to say, is, is that our opinion is our opinion. So even, even if critics or audience like something, if we do not like something, we're honest. And I think we're unbiased in our opinion. Whether, whether or not we're in the minority doesn't matter. That's still, you know, opinions are opinions, you know. But in many cases, um, I, th I think we're right on when, when, when we trash something or, or say something's good, right? Yeah, and I think we try to take it from the perspective of the show, not from external forces. <laughs> Unless the yeah, show yeah. is all about those external forces, then that might be a difference. Right, right. And I, I do want to say that a show like this is an opinion-oriented show. Because it, it's not a great show, but it's not a terrible show. So we're not talking about The Godfather, okay? Right. So if you look up... If you look up The Godfather, it has 98% good reviews. That means 2% of reviews said it was not, not good, which means those people are idiots. And I've always used Harry Met Sally, the movie. There's a scene where Harry t is talking to Sally when they're driving to New York from Chicago. And he says, you're, you're an attractive woman. And he, she says, well, that's just your opinion. And he goes, no, no, that's, no this isn't a matter of opinion. It's a fact, or something, something of that nature, and and it's true. You can you can if you see a beautiful woman, you know that person's a beautiful woman. If you see a great film like The Godfather, you know it's great. So it's not a matter of opinion, as Harry says. So in some cases, that's the, the case. Here, 
it is a matter of opinion. So if you don't like our opinion, don't personally take it against us because, again, this is just our opinion on each episode of the show and then then a general um, overview opinion as well. And, again, I'm stating that because this isn't Bridget Bardot. This isn't The Godfather. This is just a good show, right? Am I, yeah. am I apt to say that fairly? Is that a fair statement? Right. I don't think in the end of things that, if, you know, even if this is a great show, will it be talked about in 100 years? The Godfather exactly. will be. <laughs> exactly. That, that's my point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And I think now, we again, all can make the distinction. <laughs> right, right. And and some things, and not, not that that's something that will be talked about 100 years from now is necessarily great. Because, again, the Marvel films are still will probably be talked about in 100 years, too, and, and a handful of them suck, right? So oh, yeah. it, it, it's, again, because they become iconic characters in society. Not, never mind, they have films. They, they were already iconic even before the films. So, But The Godfather is an excellent example um, that became iconic on its creation, basically, and will be talked about 100 years from now. I mean, it's now been over 50-something years, and The Godfather is still talked about. I think um, one of the most impressive things about the Marvel films is the fact that they've been able to do so many in a row that have maintained this long plot line. That might be talked about, because that is impressive. Oh, sure. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. All right, so... Uh, Enough of that. Uh, I know we've been talking for 37 minutes or so, and you guys are listening to the podcast because you want to hear about the nevers, the nevers, in our opinion, and critiquing and dissecting and all that. And that's fair. Uh, but, but again, I think these were important topics to bring up, uh, unfortunately, because of Josh Whedon himself and the weirdness of critics, especially the wide swing from 78% to 48% in three days. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's discuss how we heard about this show and what we thought about it. So, uh, Barrett, why don't you start? Um, I had seen previews on uh, HBO Max um, for a while, and it definitely interested me. And then I heard about the Joss Whedon stuff, and I had heard about a lot of his stuff from before. And, you know, he hasn't been my favorite because of that. And I thought he basically skewered the justice league um when he did his finishing up on it for Zack snyder so i wasn't real pleased with that version um so he's not really my favorite right now um but he has created some of my favorite shows buffy and firefly um i really enjoyed both of those shows and angel as well um so I was intrigued and I was going to watch it regardless of whether we did this podcast or not. Um, my wife likes his work as well. Um, so there you go. We were going to watch it regardless. So I'm glad to do a podcast on it. All right. Sounds good. Uh, the way I heard about this film or this film, I mean, this television show was I was watching Godzilla versus Kong, the movie and prepped for a podcast on the Dark Discussions podcast, a flagship podcast of the Dark Discussions Network. And HBO puts their um, ads right before the movie. And this show was the, the ad right before that movie. Um, and it looked pretty cool. 
Uh, and that's when I heard about it. So only a couple of days ago. So I, I didn't even know about it until about a week ago or less. Uh, yeah, actually about a week and 10 days, if, if that. Um, and then I didn't even know it was Josh Weed until you mentioned it and warned me. Um, so that's how I heard about the show. And that's it. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. Um, we already both said that we liked it. Um, so I don't know if we have to go into details. I guess we can discuss why we liked it. Uh, what, what made you enjoy this first episode anyway? Um, you know, there's a lot of um, historical fiction coming out these days, it seems like. You know, we got some of that in A Discovery of Witches. Um, you've got Outlander out there. There's just so many shows of that. This was historical fiction from Victorian England, but it had that steampunk feel to it. And it had a good world-building feel to it for me. Um, so that I really liked. And it just... The idea of the story pulled me in, so I just really enjoyed it. All right, very good. Uh, yeah, for me, um, yeah, I've always been a fan of steampunk, and uh, after we, I finish up here, I'll give a, a quick definition of, of steampunk for folks who are, have no idea what we're talking about, but just like Josh Whedon or just like kick-ass women or just like strong woman characters or just like science fiction or whatever and just fell upon the show similar to how I did. Um, but, but I'll get into that in a moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I like steampunk. I've always thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I've never seen it in a television series or really that much in a movie. I have a few books on the subject and I've played some role playing games on the subject. Uh, and, and it is all kind of cool. Uh, I do like the, uh, the Victorian era. Uh, I've always felt those type of films are interesting, especially when they're thrillers. Uh, you know, example of that would have been uh, From Hell, the Johnny Depp film from a few years back. Mm -hmm. uh, stuff about Jack the Ripper, you know, all that type of stuff is always interesting. Uh, that part of time, time frame of, of England or the UK, if you prefer, you know, United Kingdom, Great Britain, and Northern Ireland, uh, which was actually included all of Ireland at that point, uh, as well as half the world. Um, that that uh, you know is a, a country that is very interesting to me um, culturally, um, so uh, especially that era. So I've always been been interested in that type of stuff. Um, so that that's that's kind of what got me inter uh, interested. Obviously, um, I'm not a fan of, of trailers, but obviously it popped up, and so I just watched it. Um, you know, and, and, and being a uh, is going to sound a little, uh, I guess. Uh, non-politically correct in this day and age, but uh, attractive woman uh, doing kick-ass things uh, with science fiction and magic and steampunk and all that and, and, and bodices and corsets. Corsets. Bodices, bodices and corsets. How, how do you say it, Barrett? Tell me. Bodices that. and corsets. Yeah, there you go. Bodices and corsets. Kicking ass. Uh, in a steampunk era, Victorian era, is kind of cool, and so that's is another reason why I, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, and they do kick so ass. <laughs> they, they indeed do. They indeed do. We'll get into details uh, now. For folks who are curious about what steampunk is, uh, steampunk is a subgenre of science fiction. Uh, a lot of people confuse it with cyberpunk, but they're completely different. It's just simply they both have the word punk in it. Um, Basically, it is a retro, futuristic type of 
alternate reality usually basically uh things are created computers are created everything's created mechanically uh and with like i guess steam power uh, rather than um uh digitally like like we we've actually done you know advanced to so you would have uh blimps or if you prefer airships uh that you have robots that are run by steam so they'd be like steam men uh you would have uh hot air balloons um guns that would be as powerful as modern guns but they would be cranks and and so there's a lot of gears and things like that and the style meaning the way people dressed would remain stagnant of the era that of Victorian. So women still would dress with bodices and corsets and wear beautiful dresses and men would still wear top hats and, and canes and uh, the, um, what's that little eyepiece, you know, the glasses that it's just one eyepiece. Monocle. 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 Yeah, exactly. And you'll still have the, those fancy mustaches and all that type of stuff. Um, and, and, and since people do like that type of clothing, um, that's why there's so many people who do coast cosplay doing that. Or when they go out Halloween, will we'll wear Victorian steampunk type stuff. Co-host Kevin, who will join us on tomorrow's episode. Uh, he actually, uh, goes to steampunk conventions. Uh, so he's really into it. Um, and and it is, is kind of cool. So if you read stuff like Jules Verne or H.G. Wells, um, if you've seen um, what was that Jude Law film and, that and Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow was in it? Um, it was a steampunk movie that was pretty good. I know what you're uh, talking about, and I can't think of the name of it now. Uh, yeah. the, it's something tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. The Sky tomorrow. Captain and the. Yeah, Sky that's Captain. it. Yeah, Sky like Captain in the World of Tomorrow. That's it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. And speaking of Zack Snyder, um, Sucker Punch. Uh, there's a good 15 minutes in that film uh, that has a, a steampunk world as well. Uh, you know you the like, Johnny or not Johnny um, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Sherlock Holmes movies almost feel like they have some light steampunk in it. Yeah, yeah, I would I would concur with that as well. So yeah, yeah. Um, and the, there was a really good book that, uh, from about maybe even 10 years ago now, uh, yeah, probably that, uh, that, that won best science fiction awards and stuff called the wind up girl. And I have a copy of it. I haven't read it, but I do have a copy of it. Um, and so it is even broken through, um, science fiction, uh, even more, you know, as easily, not as easily, but in some cases, like cyberpunk uh, has broken through science fiction because most people who think of science fiction they think of uh, uh, outer space and, and stuff like that um, or space opera or, or Isaac Asimov and all that but um, steampunk, cyberpunk other versions of science fiction do exist Yep. Uh, so yeah that's pretty much it here and this show is yeah steampunk, uh, they did mention we've heard terms uh, in some of the reviews, mystical realism urban fantasy Dark fantasy, um, steampunk. Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West is a show that was based on steampunk, kind of, kind of an yeah. earlier. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would. The movie agree. especially. Yeah, yeah, I would concur. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it, that there was the one with Daniel Craig in it too. Uh, didn't do too well a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, and that that was another one that was steampunk in it as well. Um, cowboys and something or other was called. Cowboys uh, and aliens. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Um. All right. So uh, I guess we can now discuss the show. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so everybody should be happy now. Okay, we're going to discuss episode one. Um. So let's set it up. Um. Do you have a wiki by any chance? Yeah. Do you want me to actually use the wiki or IMDb? They both have something, I guess. Yeah, uh, whatever you want to do. I don't really care. It's all the same. It's all right. All good. Let's see here. Whoops. Sorry, having a mouse issue. All right. An epic tale following a gang of Victorian women who find themselves with unusual abilities, relentless enemies, and a mission that might change the world. That's not bad. I don't Very like the, I don't like the gang part. They're not really a gang. <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of weird, and it's also very vague. If if I could give a better one, my personal one. Oh, uh, we forgot to say wiki wiki. Wiki uh, wiki wiki. But, so what what a better one would be? Uh, a number of people gained an unu- unusual powers become. Uh, ostracized generally not completely but somewhat and it it's basically the reveal of of everything at the end of this episode when you find out how they were touched yeah that's exactly right um and uh yeah it's touched from and even even the flashback it doesn't explain though if you read the the wiki and again no hate mail we understand wiki is 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 not a legitimate source is biased and is actually um, should be sued for a lot of things they say, because it's a terrible, terrible site. However, uh, this is the only information I have, which is they try to say, as the wiki says that the thing that causes the touch is a space alien ship. Now it doesn't say that in the show though. No, it could be uh, just a steampunk ship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be. We don't know if it's a mad scientist. We don't know if it's something from an alter dimension. We don't know if it is an alien ship. We don't know if it's a di- a, a, di- a dimensional being. We don't even know anything. Mad about scientist. It. So, yeah, it could be a mad scientist. I mean, it could be anything. Yeah. Right. So all we know is there's this this glowing entity that at least Wiki claims is an alien spaceship. Though, again, it looked more like a jellyfish to me. Um, or some sort of, you know, one of those glowing beings that live at the bottom of the ocean. You know, something like that. Um, and it floats across the sky of London, England, in 1896. And it lets out a bunch of dust particles that glow. And those dust particles, if they touch you, you gain a power, possibly. Possibly, because there's several people that are touched that don't realize that they're touched. That's right. They, they yes, and there's a big reveal. We know at the end of yeah, this we know they're episode. touched because we saw it happen. But throughout the episode, which happens after this, 
there are people that don't know they're touched and are, are um, intrigued That's by true. the touched or don't like the touched, and yet they are touched. So it's kind of interesting. Right. All right. Well, and, and it makes sense that some people may 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 not even know it because I mean, if your power is something hap, you know, you dream. You yeah. Know, you just think it's a dream, but. You know, you don't know that it's, oh, actually, that told me something that, you know, you, so, well, and a lot of people, you know, deja vu, vu, all these things you can just explain away. A lot of things you can explain, away, especially if you live, again, we know this is a science fiction, steampunk, mystical realism show. But if we lived in 1896 and something weird like that happened, the, 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 obviously the mo most people who would try to explain things away, uh, me and Barrett, right, Barrett, we did an episode couple of weeks ago on the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews podcast, which is one of the many podcasts on the Dark Discussions News Network, about a film called No, uh, no Fear. No yep. is in K-N-O-W, Fear. And there's a scene where power goes out, but also cell phones go out. Everything goes out. And we know it's a horror film, so we know it's a supernatural occurrence. But I use an analogy if I was one of those people when all that happened and I found out my, my the power went out, the first thing you think of, okay, the power went out, the you know the wire went down or, or whatever. But then when you notice your cell phone's dead too, and you know your phone was fully charged just seconds ago, I said that, oh, what happens if it was an EMP? And you said, yeah, but once the door is locked and you can't open the door, that makes it suddenly okay. Now it's supernatural because what what's holding a door closed when it's not locked? So, right. so what my my point is is a lot of people in this Victorian London, England that got touched are going to explain away things using logic, even if that logic is far fetched. So my example was the EMP bomb, the EMP bomb, and you said. That's illogical, because why would you think an EMP bomb would happen? And I go, well, I surely ain't going to think it's ghosts that did it, <laughs> because ghosts don't exist. But EMP bombs do, so it has to be an EMP bomb. And you said, yeah, but to just go to that is kind of ridiculous, too, because you didn't hear an explosion. And, you know, and I was like, all right, fair enough. So, but at least I'm trying to use my reasonable logic to which is there's no such thing as supernatural ghosts. So these right. people who've been touched don't believe that you can have supernatural power. It's just impossible. It's not ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You know, I don't know. So that's the only way I can explain it. What's well, and where What's I go opinion? from is the simplest, you know, explanation is usually the correct one. So I kind of start simple. I don't start with EMP. You know, that's, that's kind of how my mind works, but not everybody's mind works that way. And I think in a situation like that, where, Weird stuff is already going on. We, you know, we have to preface that by weird stuff is going on. So, yeah, that's, I could see that's thinking an EMP maybe went off, <laughs> too, you know, so. Right. Right. So you're, that's a fair point, because a lot of people who don't believe they've been touched that are trying to logically think that, oh, the reason they have these dreams is because they're just dreaming, or the reason they can see the future is because it's deja vu. Those people are clearly tricking themselves right. because they already know there are actually people in the world that are touched, that live in the same city as them. Yep. Well, right. and you know that there's going to be people that 
have crappy powers that aren't going to notice them, or they have a power that isn't obvious to them. Like maybe you have empathy so you can feel what people are feeling, but you really don't know what that means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not recognizing it as an ability. It's just something weird that's happening to you. Yeah. An excellent example of that is Primrose's character. She's a uh, secondary character in the show. Uh, She's a young girl, maybe 12 or 13, who is 10 feet tall. Yeah. Hers is an obvious power, but it's not necessarily great. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I would consider it an unfortunate thing, right? Because she can't have normal relations with people, you know, a a man or if she's LGBTQ, a woman. Uh, So she can't have a normal relationship with a person necessarily. She is going to stand out wherever she goes and she can't live in normal houses. So and she's really not actually, she's not fully grown yet either. That's the worst part. Right, exactly. <laughs> and yet you could argue that it's not even a power because right. all, all she is, I mean, she, she, it may be a power in the sense that maybe she's stronger just for the fact that she's a bigger human being, but it's nothing any nothing like like um, Amalia or Penance who have like real powers, right? Yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, like you just said, if she's stronger, there might be things she could do that nobody else could do. Yeah, that's true. Also, another, walls. <laughs> another thing is is that these people that are touched, a lot of them are considered uh, outcasts or, or, or secondary citizens or disenfranchised, basically similar to the X-Men. I mean, the X-Men was kind of like that, too. You know, the mutants, are they dangerous and all this other crap. So there's nothing original about this show except that it's, in Victorian London and steampunk. So, which, which, so not original does not mean bad. I I want people to get that clear. Right. But there's nothing original (laughs) these days. It's just how it's told. That's true. Exactly. But the one thing I thought was odd about this is that some of these people were saying like they wish they didn't have the power or, or they wish they could disappear. And I just didn't understand that because this is the thing, unless you, obviously Primrose is screwed because she's 10 feet tall. Yeah. But a lot of these people like Amalia and Penance and various other people who have these, have been touched. They could, they could, it, they could, they could disappear and not be known. Um, and I want to use another analogy and this isn't meant to be offensive at all. Um, because for example, co-host Mike, on the Dark Discussions podcast has brought it up a number of times, where let's say you're a Caucasian, or, or if you prefer white, you, you have it easier to break the quote-unquote glass ceiling of the upper class because as a white person, even if you're not white Anglo-Saxon Protestant or blue blood or whatever, you being white allows you to disappear easier in society and become someone that could break that ceiling into the upper class without necessarily being, um, I guess, uh, have, have, uh, big, be, have bigoted, be bigoted against. Okay. So, in other words, what I'm trying to say is, is 
even if white privilege is overstated, a person that is white may be able to to glide through life a little easier than say someone of uh, that's a person of color because a per- person that's of color can't disappear. In other words, you know what I'm saying? You see what I'm trying to say? So in other words, mm-hmm. a Latino Caucasian or a Jewish person who's white can still can hide fact in a racist society or a bigoted society that they're Latino Caucasian or Jewish because they, they look like everybody else. That's in the majority. A black person can't do that or an Asian person can't do that. They're, they're, people know that they're a person of color, period. So the touched are similar to, I guess, a white Caucasian Latino or a Jewish folk because they may be touched, meaning they're some different than the majority, but they can hide in the majority because unless people are told that they're touched, you wouldn't know they're touched. Now, that doesn't mean minority or, or p- people of color can't be touched because there are some in the show, uh, mm-hmm. both bad and good. There's, a, there's the, the doctor of the... the um, orphanage. The orphanage is black, a black man, a person of color, and he's touched. And then there's a black woman who's friends with the villainous, and she has can shoot fireballs, and she, and so and she's a person of color, a black person as well. So anybody can get touched. But Amelia and Penance have a conversation somewhere in this show about this, or a few people have a conversation about how they they wish they could just disappear. And I, I felt that was a weird conversation because they could disappear. And no, if they didn't tell or let people know, they don't have to be the superheroes. They could say, I'm out of here, and I'm just going to be a person. They could, yep. So I felt that was an issue with the show. Because they have taken on this role of doing what they're doing. Um, exactly. We don't know exactly, exactly why. I mean, Amalia, we know her husband died right before the touch became, and she tried to kill herself by jumping into the river Thames. Um, And at that instant she's touched and that brings her to the surface and she decides to live. Um, We don't know what she saw possibly in her future in that moment. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say with her because she sees the future. We don't know exactly what her motivations are unless we are shown them. Right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's an interesting thing. Um, th- there's a new movie that's probably going to win all the Academy Awards uh, this year, and probably rightfully so, uh, called Nomad Land. And you can just watch it on Amazon Prime if you're in the United States anyway. And that film is about a woman uh, starring Frances McDormand. And, and it's a real film. It's, it's, it's like real people. It's modern day. It's not, not fantasy or... or science fiction or anything and she and her husband lived in a city a town in in nevada that did i guess uh iron ore or something like that and the company was bought out and they closed the the building factory 
And so the town literally dissolves because the town was a factory town in a sense. In other words, the only reason the town existed was because of the, the iron ore. And once that, that was closed, everybody leaves, including – and then the, you know, the, the service people like the pizza parlor and the restaurant and the bar and the grocery store and the post office all disappear too because all the people left. So everything's gone. And in that movie – Francis McDormand's character, her husband dies of cancer or something right before the town uh, folds. And she decide, chooses the life of becoming a nomad because she, she didn't want to go back to her, where she grew up. And she doesn't want to uh, – obviously, she isn't going to stay at the town because it's, it's dead. And so she just lives in her car or, or if you prefer, a van. And goes around the country finding jobs, and so so it's a, it's a very sad film, but it's a film. It's also she chose that life, and that's how. And I felt Amelia specifically more though more than penance, but Amelia chooses this life, and you mentioned that perfectly, Barrett, because it seems like she doesn't want this life. Right, she was ready to die. Right, right. It's almost even, like her even, duty was to come back and do whatever she's doing now. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of why she's she's being this quote unquote superhero type character because she doesn't want to be and she doesn't like being it, but she decides to do it anyway when she could easily just sit, move out of the town, and no one would know that she's touched. Now, do you get the sense that she has money, like her and her husband had money? I get that sense because she seemed to be she seems to be friends with some of the aristocratic people, um, like Riley. Um, what's his name? Uh, Tom Riley. Oh, uh, yeah. or Augustus. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. name. Sorry, okay. Augustus. Yeah, Augustus. Yeah, Tom Riley was that. Yeah. Um, I just get that sense that she has some money, um, but maybe not because she doesn't own the orphanage. She's just helping run it. <laughs> right. Or, or, or she just went there because she feels like an outcast as, as being touched or yeah. she wanted to be around people who have the same thing as her, or she decides that there's a lot of children who are touched that are all screwed up. So, it's my obligation. I don't, I don't know. This is a really good question. Again, there's only one episode. We haven't been told enough. But I, that's a fair point. She does seem like she is someone of note. So unless you're part of the bourgeois or upper class, because, again, this is UK or, or England or L London, if you prefer, there there is – it's a little different than, say, the United States, or where the United States is. There is your blue bloods for sure, but there is a huge bourgeois class, and if you make it to the bourgeois class in the United States, you basically have made it, and it doesn't even matter if you're a blue blood. So in the UK, or at least in England, in, in 1890. Six and when this show takes place three years later, 1899, the bourgeois and the blue bloods different, but both have pretty strong power. She definitely appears to be one of the two. 
Yeah, because you at this point you have the aristocracy who some are able to keep their their holdings and stuff, but then you have the other aristocracy who are losing money and losing their land, and then you have the bourgeois who are you know just coming into their own and gaining all this money from certain ventures. Um, yeah, so it's you've definitely got that dichotomy going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and she. Seems like she is part of that. Whether or not she, that's the question, right? And this is what you're asking me, which is, what did she gain that power or notoriety in a, in a positive way, I guess, um, since being touched? Or was she already part of the bourgeois or elites prior to being touched? Yeah, and I feel like it was prior. And then she was touched and she still got that connection. Um, but now she's in an orphanage. And so I think she's kind of looked down on a little more and gotcha. what she's doing as yeah, well yeah. because she's touched and not hiding it. Also, uh, also, I'm wondering if the re- one of the, obviously, you know, she, who knows why she, she wanted the suicide. We, we don't know any details. We do know she lost her husband and and that can cause a lot of grief to any human being. And, and, and we, we, we've heard stories about people suiciding after their spouse has passed. And we've also heard about how an elderly person who loses their spouse will die only one or two weeks after because of how, you know, whatever reason, you know, heartbroken or whatever, uh, that actually happened, uh, to my great aunt, her, my great uncle passed. And then literally three weeks later she died and she didn't have any illness. Um, so it does happen. Um, but I'm thinking maybe also she, meaning Amelia, could be one. It, I mean, there could be some sort of uh, gender uh, theme that may come up later in the episodes where once she lost her husband, she lost her elitism in a sense because we've heard yeah, her status. In, in, yeah. 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 Because, you know, women are at that period of time um, weren't able to necessarily keep the status after they lose their spouse, you know, um, for example, um, a company, if their family owns a company, the spouse dies, it goes to next nearest male relative. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or something of that nature. Um, You know, if, if her husband had uh, uh, chairships, on or you know organizations or the church or businesses or whatever and he passes those chairs are gone and she goes to in a sense well and that's the thing she might still have status but no money (laughs) so while the status gets you certain things it doesn't get you everything that's true that's true yep yeah, and we've always heard, you know, I've seen so many movies where a spouse dies, and they that they thought they were wealthy, and then when they they die, the wife looks at the books and they find out that they're bankrupt, and yeah. they were just living a lie. So I mean, it could have even been that too. We don't, we just don't know yet. Yep. Um. So yeah. Um. All right. So so that that's the general. So far, we've been just talking about um, generalization of that world. Um, and I think that was pretty good. Um, you know, we got people 
get a general idea of what's going on. Um, so I guess we can talk about some specifics about the show itself now. Um, spoilers! Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, Definite spoilers again, are going to come. Yeah, yeah, I'm not too worried again, because it's not like a movie we're reviewing. It's a, it's a show, and most people who came to this podcast are looking for discussion on the show, and they are obviously a fan or follow the show. Uh, it's not just some random movie, so I'm not too worried. But either way, we, we, we want them. Um, so, yeah, what do we want to talk about specifically? Um, so let's start out at the beginning. I mean, we started at the end, so let's go back to the beginning. So we do have a flashback at the very beginning. We see uh, Amalia try to kill herself um, jumping in the water, and that's about all we get, right? She jumps into the water, and then it goes to the current time period. Yeah, 1899, three years later, it says, which is 1899. Yeah, so they, um, we come to Amelia and Penny. It's Penny, right? She goes uh, by Penny. Penance, Penance. But she goes by Penny, doesn't she, in the show? Oh, I, mean, it, I don't the, know. Every, I, yeah, maybe with Amelia, but everybody else was calling her Penance. It was kind okay. of, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you're right. I, I didn't even notice anybody calling her Penny, but maybe they do. I thought they did, but maybe not. Anyway. Penance and Amalia are walking together and they go to this house where the parents think that their daughter, I, I get this feeling they think she's possessed, don't you? Yeah, it seems she's like she's speaking they, what they think is tongues, but it's just a foreign language. Right, which honestly, if you lived in a world where touch don't exist, you would think. I honestly, I would probably think, yeah, maybe she is possessed because, yeah. she, because I mean, we saw the exorcist, right? And she's speaking Latin and, and speaking backwards and all this shit. And it's like, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense. How the hell would she know Latin? She's only a 10 year old girl. Yeah. You know, we read a book recently called the Re uh, reincarnation papers. And there's a, a guy that could speak Bulgarian and he's never been to Bulgaria. And is, and we won't talk, talk about the twist in that book. Uh, that'll be an upcoming episode of the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews podcast that we do on the side, uh, part of Dark Discussions Network, by the way. Um, and and it makes no sense. How can this guy speak Bulgarian, right? So yeah. if if this was my daughter and she's just started speaking a foreign language, or maybe even gibberish, because you don't even know, if you don't know the foreign language, you could just think it's gibberish, right? Right. And, yeah. And and actually, this, these parents did think it was gibberish. It was only after the fact when Amalia and Penance say that, oh, this is this is uh, Mandarin, Russian, Turkish, and maybe a few other languages all mixed in. That doesn't make any sense. Even if, I, I would rather prefer it to be a gibberish because it doesn't make any sense. So I, even though they make the parents look like they're kind of rotten people. If you lived in 1899 and you had a child that did this, I, I, I don't know what I would think. So, again, well, I'm not and, saying it's right what they did, but we got to look at the time period. You can't blame yeah. like, like uh, I know I know nowadays people are blaming, you know, uh, like, for example, uh, George Washington and uh, was a slave owner. But that's what they did in Virginia, unfortunately, in 1776 and Abe Lincoln um, helped uh, boot the Indians out of the West. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, but he's freed the, the, you know, the slave. So it's like, you know, it's like, it's just a, a t- different time period. Who knows what would happen if you were born in Nazi Germany in, in 1927. Yeah. It would be hard to say that you wouldn't do what everybody else in that country did, which was allow it to become what it became. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think these parents necessarily did anything wrong. My only question here is, so it's been three years. And she was touched. Did her pa- did this just come out, or have they been dealing with her for the last three years with her issue, and they're only now getting coming to the attention of Penance and Amalia? That seemed a little strange to me. I don't know. Did you? I don't think it was clearly explained whether or it, not wasn't. it was three years. Yeah, yeah. It seemed it was- like this was just happening with her. So does that mean some of the touched don't have their powers yet, and they're coming out over time? Yeah, that's that's all I can think of. It, it's it's bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they basically Amelia and Penance basically explain that they think it's it, it's it's the touch, not her being possessed, which I guess is a good thing because you don't want to be possessed by demons. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, obviously, this movie does this movie. The show immediately brings up the point about the gender inequalities because. When they come to the door and they're and the the father opens the door, he's surprised that it's two women and not yep. males, men men coming to uh, basically do their diagnosis on the girl. Um, so I just want to note that. Uh, but either way, uh, they look at especially the mother. The mother is really, I guess worried that the girl's possessed. So they want to get the girl away from her parents, I guess, right? Yeah. Now, um obviously what they plan to do is is not in the proper legal terms. Obviously, if it's modern day, we're going to you're going to have um child services come and and you know whatever. <laughs> Here, it's like they're just going to kidnap the girl away from her parents. Well, uh, and I mean, just like that one woman is getting taken to a sanitarium. I mean, things like that happened then, you know, you didn't necessarily have to have someone that you were related to say you're crazy for you to get put in a crazy <laughs> bin back then, you know? So, yeah, <laughs> that, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, oddly, you could lock your your child in your, your her room and put a chain around her leg. I guess back in eighteen ninety nine, <laughs> but you also could have two two strangers come into your your house and try to steal her too away from you without going through proper authorities. Yeah. So so yeah, it's it's a little little um, different. Um, but either way, there's a third party that gets involved of these unknown strangers that are wearing these weird masks. That also yep. want to kidnap the girl as well. And when Amalia comes up and into the room, they're trying to take her at that very point. Exactly. Um, and that's yeah, so when that's, we, yeah, that's yeah. when we see where Amalia has physical abilities that are pretty impressive. Right, right, and that Penance has the electrical powers, like she, you know, she has those little and things she invented that can blind people and all this other stuff. Yeah, some really cool stuff. Little yeah. floating gadgets and flying gadgets and all sorts of stuff that it's it really pulls you into the show. It's really good world building. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and this is the pre-credit sequence 
Uh, and there's a big chase scene where the girls, after they beat up and blind, uh, let me rephrase, the woman, after they beat up and blind the third party that wants to kidnap, the ones with the masks that want to kidnap the girl, they win the two women and they take the girl and they're on a horse and buggy carriage trying to get back to the orphanage and they're chased by horse these three guys on with the mass on horse and they escape another way and this is where the real steampunk shows a little steampunk car pops out of the carriage and brings them back to they drive it penance drives it back to the orphanage oh and the driver of the carriage is a robot Right. Is it like a steam man <laughs> robot? Yeah, it's like a steam man yeah. robot. Yeah. 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 Um, and so that, yeah, that's all the pre credit sequence. That's about six or seven minutes in. And uh, we get the the um, credits, which is simply the, the title. And then we're into the, the main story after that. And we're introduced to the orphanage. And that's where we're introduced to all these people. Uh, mostly secondary characters, and based off of the list in the uh, credits, both on IMDb and Wikipedia, uh, they're not going to play much of a role. Like Primrose um, is very low in the credits, so and she's the ten foot girl, so I don't think she's going to have a big role in the show. But um, well, I don't know about that because she's the daughter of the one government official. Okay, so that was her? Yes. I couldn't tell. She becomes touched, and then she grows into the 10-foot girl, and he's given her up. And remember, she talks, when when you first meet her character, she's talking about how her family didn't want her or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but, but there's a lot of characters that, that are very peripheral in the orphanage that have powers, and I doubt most of them will be involved in the scenes going forward. Yeah, unless they have a specific power that's useful to the scene, I don't think we'll see them either, yeah. Right, right. And uh, and we're introduced to uh, uh, Lady, uh, what was her name again? Lavinia or something? Uh, Lavinia Bidlow. Yeah, yeah. So, and she's the the one that runs the orphanage. Um, All right, so... There was some convoluted stuff that I didn't get, like uh, the scenes um, where we, we get the um, the guy that is the, the 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 aristocrat guy that goes visits the, the heat in the sky. I, I I'm still not sure what's going on there. Yeah, I'm not sure that we were given enough information to know what's going on there. They're friends. He goes to see him. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they're doing. We have an idea that the aristocrat, he's kind of a kind of a rake, I would say. Um, he maybe does a few iffy things, and he definitely sleeps with both sides of the fence. <laughs> um, and he definitely has some power. Uh, we don't know exactly. He seems like he gets info on people. And this is the guy, um, not not the aristocrat guy, but the other guy, right? No, the aristocrat guy is the iffy person that gets info on people. Oh, then who's the guy that 
See, then I'm completely confused because all right, so we we get this guy that's in bed naked with a hot chick. He's the aristocrat. Naked. Yeah, he's he's got oh. some type of, he's got some type of title, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, I'm talking about the other aristocrat. Oh, so you're talking about Augustus? Yeah, Augustus. So yeah, he's yeah. related to that Lavinia woman. Right. He's like a nephew or or something. Yeah, exactly. Or so and that's or... how he knows Amalia as well. Right. And so we don't know. What, I still don't have no idea what. Yeah, Lord Masson. That's the guy's name, right? Lord Masson. Uh, no, no, not Lord Masson. No, no, Hugo Swan is the Hugo name Sw- of the. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hugo Swan is the hedonist guy, and Augustus is Lavinia's nephew. And so that whole storyline, I'm still confused about what's going on there. We do have Lord Masson's storyline, which is the guy that is the father of Prim- Primrose. And. He is kind of kind of the looks like he's going to be somewhat of a possible villain, maybe a character that is kind of villainous that may be redeemed at the end. We're not really sure yet, but well, and he, I could be wrong about Primrose being his daughter because her name is Chataway, so I could be wrong about okay. that. But that's yeah. what I got out of it. It's really hard to tell because from you know normal size ten foot, it gets distorted a little bit. So I'm not positive. Right, but either way, his daughter gets touched. Yeah, whether it's Tim Rose or someone at odd Shadowway, he's disowned his daughter, kind of sort of. Yep, yep. All right, and then we have this detective Frank Mundy, and I I don't know what's going on there either because he, he's investigating um, serial murders. Which when when I was first watching this, I was like, oh, maybe Jack the Ripper is going to be in this too. Yes. And um, it's because it's an alternate history. We're having a little different thing going on there. Yeah. Um, so he's investigating the serial killer who they may, him, but they don't call him Jack the Ripper. They call him something else. Well, they think it's a woman that's doing it, um, which it, it it turns out to be a woman, right? Oh, oh, you're thinking that the the serial killer is is Madeley. Madeley, really? Yes. To me, okay. Yeah, yeah. You could be right. That's a really good point because they talk uh, about her in that government meeting. Uh, t- they talk about a woman is going around killing people, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, I didn't. I didn't get that, but uh, but I see exactly. I do now after you you talk to me about it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So people are getting killed off by the serial killer, uh, not named Jack Rep. I would name something else. It's a Chekhov's gun early because yep. when they head into see the girl that's speaking all those weird languages, and only weird because. She's in England and doesn't supposed to know them, not because they're weird languages, period. So no offensive emails, please. Um, <laughs> she, they, There's a girl selling newspapers, and they, she names the serial killer. And when they do that, and I said, oh, that's not Jack the Ripper. That's interesting. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, that's a, that's a Chekhov's serial killer, though. Yep, yep. Something important, because why else would they have had that scene? Um, so either way, uh, Amelia has like we said, could see the future every so often. And I don't know how she knows this and it's not explained, but every time she sees something in the future, it's supposed to be something that at least she thinks is important and must be done. So she has this flash forward about herself at the opera, watching the, the opera Faust. And yeah, isn't she using uh, the rakes? Um, box. Yes. I yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah, and actually, that's one of the reasons why Augustus is there because he's going, okay, uh, I need to know how I can I can talk to these these two women. And yeah, because he wants to I... know more about the touched. Right, 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 right. And, he's and intrigued by them, and we know from later on that he is one of the touched, but does not know it. That's right. That's right. I liked how uh, Swan said to him. He goes, "Well, what you want to do is flirt with the the girl that's less attractive. Yes. It'll, it'll make them both confused." <laughs> Which is kind but of I think he actually likes the girl that is what I guess the show would consider less attractive. But they're both very attractive women because um, she's the sidekick. So the penance is the one that he's attracted to. It seems like it because he seems yeah. really drawn to her. Yeah, which is odd because I, I, I honestly I think she's the the more attractive of the two women myself. But you're right; they're they're both very attractive women. Um, and also in real life, that actress is 14 years younger than Amelia, the cat woman that plays Amelia. And, oh wow! And you can kind of see it if you if you really look at it. But but not that age matters. You know, a 38 year old woman and a 24 year old woman are still can be very attractive, but. Um, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just, I just like redheads better. I don't know. So, <laughs> so but either way, yeah, that's a fair point. It's like either way, you know, you can flip a coin and, and it, you know, it's not like, um, a regular woman and, and, and a supermodel standing next to each other and you can tell the obvious, you know? Right. Exactly. And in this case, it becomes who is the, who is the lead and who is not. And I don't mean that by a movie, you know, like a show reference. I mean that by one person is usually got the ego to be the one that's more out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Amelia, I guess is the alpha of the two. Yes, absolutely right. the alpha. She's the alpha of everyone, I think, so yeah. far from what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, it, it, she's definitely the lead role. I mean, it, there's no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Um, she seems unintimidated by everything. Yeah, yeah, but she's always depressed. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she doesn't like life in general. Um, so, Faust. Um, I didn't do much research on Faust. I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with uh, with it, but uh, you know, it's by Charles Gounod. Um, but I'm sure they chose Faust intentionally. Oh yeah, Josh Whedon wrote this. He, he must have chose it intentionally versus say uh, some other opera, you know, like like a uh, Rossini or a Verdi opera. He decided to choose. Charles Gounod's Faust opera for some reason. Don't ask me why. But I'm sure if we, uh, I had done research and read a little bit about that opera, I could tell you why. I'm not sure if you, if you have come to any conclusions why they chose that opera. Well, I mean, the story is about the devil, you know, tempting someone. Okay. Yep. So, and in the end, he's going to claim Faust's soul. Um, yep. So I think maybe there's a little bit of symbolism going on there with the touched and what, you know, their abilities and things like that. Are they being tempted? Um, do these powers have a purpose? I mean, I'm just speculating at this point, but that, that could be part of the reason that it was the, the opera that was decided on to use. Um, and I think it was popular back at that time period as well. Oh, for sure. 
yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, uh, still well known today. I mean, for people who f- follow uh, classical, for sure, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's uh, a great scene when Malady comes and <laughs> slices the throat of the devil. Right, right, right. And and uh, the Faust actually was uh, premiered in 1859, so that was 40 years prior to when this takes place. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a long time, but let's put it in perspective. Uh, 40 years ago, it was 1981, if we go back from today, and films like The Shining and John Carpenter's The Thing and Friday Terminator the 13th. was not long after that, right? Yeah, Terminator. <laughs> uh, uh, Aliens, James Cameron's Aliens was only a couple of years after that, you know. Uh, yeah. Terminator. So, so it's long ago, but it's oddly not that long ago. And back sense. then, things were more likely to run longer. Yeah, that's for sure, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they had the attention span because it only came around once every 40 years, you know, or something like that. <laughs> so... Right, people you, want you to don't want to it. miss it. Right, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. so not like a VCR tape you can just plug in and or, or go to YouTube and type in Fast Opera and, and right. watch it. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Um, oh yeah, and, and back in those days, you, you didn't have a TV or a radio either, so it's not like you could could just you know or video games. So if you wanted entertainment, it was either a book or you went to the opera or stage. Yeah, and think about that play that was on Disney. I, for some reason, can't think of the name of it. Oh, uh, uh, Hamilton, right? Yeah, Hamilton. I mean, I never thought I was going to get to see that. But in this day and age, you know, stuff just shows up on shows now. You know, they record it, and then you get to see it. So, right. yeah, totally right. different then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, if you want to watch uh, Wagner's The Ring Cycle, you know, nowadays you can, j- you can just go to YouTube. Yeah. Oh, well, or, or or go to Amazon and spend ten bucks for a DVD, you know. So, you know, but, but back in those days, if you wanted to see the ring, you better get get there when it comes. And and if you don't have yep. the money, you're screwed. Yeah. yeah. And you and I still so, remember when there were, you know, before VCR tapes. So yeah. you know, if there was a show on that we didn't get to see, we did not get to see it unless there was a rerun. That's right. <laughs> so. I remember. I remember one of the biggest exciting things as a kid was right around around April every year The Wizard of Oz. Yes. We got it at Thanksgiving time though or right before Christmas. Oh, there you go. Yeah. See so yeah, so we, we got it you know and, and if you if you missed it, you had to wait missed a whole it. year. Yep. It was gonna be yeah. another I watched that every year. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Another one was the Grinch that stole Christmas. Yep. Another one was the Ten Commandments. You know, you know, oh so, yeah. You know, so all, all these films would would come up once a year, and that's it because you didn't have a VCR tape, you didn't have YouTube, you didn't have VOD. You know, so you you watch it or you're you're done. You know, and 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 that was those films. Like if you wanted to see Taxi Driver, you're shit out of luck. Yep. Because it ain't coming back until VCR tapes, you know? So, yep. or, Gar- or even The Godfather, you know? So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, so they had a play that might not come around for another 10 years, or an opera, or, so you go see it. Because right. you, you don't know when it's coming around again. Because they're going to go all over the world and, you know, show that pl- that opera. So. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, because they, they, these performers, a lot of these performers, 
it, it wasn't just local productions that said, hey, let's do Faust. These were, were like people that actually came from France or Italy or, or Poland or wherever, you know. So it, it was a little different back in those days, too, you know. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. So that's a really good point. Um, yeah. I mean, dude, we're, we're not only that, but, but I remember the days before microwaves. Yeah, me too. It's, it's crazy. Anyway, um, so yeah, so that's that's pretty much the, the whole beginning. I mean, I mean that's the whole episode except for the Foss thing. So I guess we should talk about that. That was that's the the whole thing, right? This is where we're getting our, I guess, villain for for season one. Or, or as far as we know, she's a villain. We really don't know what is going on, but she she comes up and she slices that guy's throat, which it's hard to say that she's a good person or that she's on the side of good because of that. Um, and she seems yeah. a little crazy. Well, see, this is, this is the thing. It's a really weird thing. The whole thing, because, because, all right, first of all, show related, not, not necessarily melodies related show related. It could be, the real villain is Lord Madden. And then yeah. in each season or each six episodes, they're going to have a side villain or Lord Masson, not Madden. I'm sorry. So Matt, Matt, Malady may just be the, the side villain, you know, so example, a good example analogy I always use is the uh, Batman begins. We have, uh, or, or Batman or the second Batman, the one with uh, the joke, is it? The, yeah. Joker, Batman begins. Yeah. The one with Batman against they have the they have uh, um, uh, the Scarecrow, but he's not oh, really the villain. Yeah, yeah, he's the vi- he's a villain, but it's someone he's else. He's a lackey villain. of the villain, <laughs> right. the main villain. Yeah, but he seems like the villain, but he's just the forward tentacle of the villain. <laughs> right, and so this film, this show here, Malady may just be a side villain or the forward tentacle of the real villain. We don't know yet. Well, and it's interesting because Lord Masson has a really interesting when he's meeting with everyone. He has an interesting conversation when he's he's basically um, uh, what would you call it? Um, just kind of telling them how things are, and he talks about the sword is in. <laughs> you know, you've been you've been pierced by the sword, and the touched are like the sword. Um, right, and he's right. saying you got to pull the sword out or something like that. Um, he's, he doesn't sound like a nice guy when he's talking about that. Right, right. Yeah. See, and this is the thing about the, the touched, which is interesting. And, and a lot of people have probably heard stories like this or know stories like this, or even have seen it in their own families. But for example, back in the seventies or eighties, if, if someone, you know, so, well, maybe just use the eighties, um, there, there's a, family I knew their son came down with AIDS and this was in like the early eighties and they immediately disowned their son because he was a homosexual and he obviously he died alone or died with, I guess people in the LGBTQ community that still loved him, but his family disowned him and it was disgusting. And today, I doubt that family would have done that because nowadays people are more um, understanding, I guess. So if, if you, ha- if you have a child that, that comes out and, or even get, you find out 
after the fact, but but because they have to come out because they become ill because of some disease. Most people, I would hope, would not disown their child. But what Masson reminds me of, he reminds me of that family because his child has become touched and mm-hmm. he disowns his t- child. Yet he didn't have to. He could have said, I still love you no matter who you are. You know, you know, I mean, again, being touched isn't a choice. Right. It's an unfortunate thing. But again, it's still, whether it was a choice or if it was an unfortunate thing, it still isn't something. I mean, example, if, if they got, if the girl fell off her horse and broke her neck, that wasn't a choice either. But would he disown her for becoming a paraplegic? Probably not. So you could look at this guy and and think this whole touch thing could, could be looked at as an analogy to uh, the LGBTQ community, people who are different and are now considered second class citizens Mm -hmm. for nothing that they've done wrong. Right. And I think that's a kind of interesting aspect of the show. And and the thing is, is that Lord Masson, unfortunately, is part of that old school thought. So I'm not going to say he's a true villain, but I'll say he's part of the old school thought where people were stupid back in those days, where they would disown someone that's different, whether it's their fault or not, when they sh- when in reality if they really thought about it or followed the Christian values or what any, you know, any value, they would say, I still love you as who you are, even if though you are touched or you are LGBTQ or you are whatever, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or you are paraplegic. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting. His character has more aspects to him because he does get into a conversation with Amalia and Prudence um, when they're first getting into the opera. And he doesn't necessarily yeah. agree with them, but he seems to be considering what they say with more than I would have expected, um, more credence yeah. than I would have expected. That's true. Yeah, I mean, and he wasn't a complete dink either. Even he though, seems curious yeah. when he's talking yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could still, still, he still threw some shots at them, and I won't say shots as in being a scumbag, but as shots as in he was, he was. If they, if you were talking politics, he was talking his side. Yes. Yeah. Um, but not and, in an aggressive way. He was just right. discussing more than anything else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I'm, th- I'm still thinking. And then his flashback was, was uh, heartbreaking. So I'm still thinking he's not a true villain, even though they're set, trying to make us think he's could be a villain. Yeah. Exactly. And if they do make him a true villain it's going to be one of those true villains that became a villain because I, of tragedy. Probably. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or whether it's, whether it's, um, what the hell's his name? Um, Darth Vader, you know, one of those types. Um, so yeah, that's a curious thing. So let's talk about Malady. Malady. So yeah, well, we, I, she's got her little crew, right. Of people when she gets onto the stage. Right. Right. Yeah. First of all, Malady, I, I learned through the they have the six minute thing after the show. If you watch oh, it, 
I did on, not watch uh, it. Yeah, um, HBO Max Go or whatever it's called. Um, if you don't watch it live, uh, they have a thing after. And, and Malady in French. So the name is supposed to be a play on the word Malady in French, which means disease. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's what Amy Madsen, who plays the character, was talking about. And man, does she look completely different than what she does in, in this TV yes. show? <laughs> um, so she, she's, yeah, so she's what we would call a behavioral health individual, probably. Or, again, you made a good point, which is we really don't know. She may have become a behavioral health individual because of what her husband or someone was or parents or someone was doing to her prior to being touched but at this point we can argue she's a behavioral health individual right no maybe because back then women were often put into sanitariums when they just disagreed well well, let me rephrase that's what i that's what i was trying to say but this moment when she's cutting people's throats and talking about people uh not covering their heads and their heads are being burned by the sun or whatever we could probably argue at this point, at this point in her life, she is a behavioral health individual. Absolutely. She's got some kind of issue. Right. Because she can't what, even talk straight. Like, she talks very confusing. Right. And so whether she is a behavioral health individual because of a patriarch society or people just after over, no matter who they were, men, women, whatever – and she be, and she got landed in a nut house and be, or and became a crazy person. That's maybe true. However, we still have to learn more about that. Yeah, and she has some weird power where she gets stronger and her eyes glow. Right. Yeah. So it's a, it's kind of weird because they make her kind of the villainous person, but they also make her villainous power her power look villainous because of like the demon eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, not to state that her actions are, are good because killing anybody is a bad thing, no matter what, uh, some people will say otherwise saying that, you know, you can death penalty or at war or whatever, but in general, killing people is not a good thing. So killing people is bad and she kills people now other people would state and i've had many arguments with co-host mike on the dark discussions podcast that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter and they even kind of mention this in the show where if a person does something or it, actually, I don't know if it was in the show or if it was one of my reviews I read, actually, um, that her she may be disenfranchised. Oh, actually, it may have been the six-minute thing after the episode, actually. Um, what is making Melody do what she does? Is it because she's crazy? Is it because she's evil? Or is she doing it because she thinks it's a just thing to do because she's taking out those who she believes are part of the establishment and the oppressors of society, and this is a good thing? And if she's doing it that way, you know, bad or not, because, again, people die because of what she does, some people will still say, oh, that's, that's a freedom fighter. 
She's doing good. Well, let's be honest. History is written by the winners. <laughs> it's so true, too. I, I so, used to a terrorist might be a terrorist and then become the the nation. You know, I mean, like the U.S. were considered probably terrorists by the British. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, well, even, even people who who were weren't a problem when they were alive. Let me rephrase that. People who were in power when they were alive and were considered great people when they're alive after they die. So they, they, they're then turned into villains as well. And, and so even the victors can be turned out to be the losers after they, they, they're gone. It's like yep. that, that Shelley poem, Osmodeus, where he, he talks about in that poem about this great emperor and there's a big statue of him. And there's a city around him, but the sands of the desert have covered up the entire city and the statue is just sticking out of the sand because mm-hmm. even the great, after they're gone, are not great anymore. And so what I'm trying to say is, is that it's not, I guess that's not related to the show. It's just related to the point that you said the victors, um, right history but even even the victors can have their history rewritten too which is kind of interesting is what <laughs> yeah i guess I'm talking about yeah so yeah so so that's a fair point so is she a villain or is she doing good and i guess it's a matter of what you think is right because you could actually argue uh, unfortunately that a bad person that does something it is a good person if you're on that side. To them it is. Yeah, but from a from let's see from an outside perspective, she's killing what we know of as an innocent person who has nothing to do with whatever she's trying to accomplish. Um so that kind of just makes her bad in general for me. And that's a fair point. Now, if I be a devil's advocate, I could say, yeah, but She's killing. Okay, sure. She killed a couple of actors on stage, including the guy that plays the devil. But in her eyes, if you're on that side, or entertaining that side, or live with that side, you're part of the problem too. Well, and she could be crazy enough that she thought he was the devil. <laughs> That's true. <too. laughs> yes. I, we really don't know what her purpose is there. Until she grabs the girl, Mary, who has the power of the voice. And we don't even know, was that her purpose or why was she there? I don't think it was. I don't either. I think it was just serendipity. She found this woman with the voice. I do too. (laughs) Yeah. I think she came there. To terrorize, right? To kill as many of the elites in the crowd as possible. Because everybody that's in the crowd is an elite because you can't get in there unless you have money. Yep. And they're part of the problem in her eyes, yep. which are the people that put her into the mental institution, the people who are suppressing the, the, the blue collar and the poor, et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, the people on stage are performers for the people who, um, 
are the elites. Now, some people will say, well, you do whatever you, you do to survive. While other people will say, oh, they're traitors because they're they're helping the they're entertaining the, the elite. But other people will just say, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I don't, those people are they elite, but I mean, they're just watching the show, right? And the people that act and are just performing because they love performing and they don't care who's in the audience. They're just performing. So you can look at it all sorts of ways, but if we just look at it in a black and white way, she's a bad, bad guy or bad woman, if you prefer, because she is killing people in the audience and you can actually indiscriminately. Argue, yeah. And you can argue, even if they are part of the elite, they're still innocent people because they're not doing anything except watching a show and she's also being judge jury and executioner without put uh you know suing these people or, or put or trying to say that the re- this is the reason why they're bad right and so what happens is the the guy with the machine gun starts killing people indiscriminately and that's when amalia gets involved and jumps down under the stage and rips his gun off and that's when they find um the woman with the voice starts singing right yeah and yeah. that's when Malady grabs her and runs away with her henchmen to try and try and take her to for what reason we don't know. <laughs> right, kidnap. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we also don't know. So we have those men from the beginning in the masks. We right. find out at the end of this episode that there is a man creating them. That's right. And yeah. we don't yeah, know if she's associated Dennis, with him. Dennis. Oh, here. Yeah, and we don't know if she's associated with them or not. No, no, no. She could be a fourth party. So, right. yeah, I mean, it could be. There's like five different groups in this because you got you got Lord Masson, you got Malady, you got which, uh, and it says here, Wikipedia says it's Doctor Edmund Haig who's part of the the mask people, and that's the guy that that's torturing people, the, the surgeon. Then you have. Amelia's group, and then you have Swan and and whatever he's up to. So there's all sorts of different groups here. And you're right, we don't know if Melody has anything to do with Hay. I don't think she does because I don't either. I think they're separate groups. Yeah, I, I think all three are separate. I think all the quote unquote villains, Masson, Haig, and Melody are all different because Melody is a touched, and Haig and Masson don't like the touched. Well, Hank's so utilizing them, right, to do certain things. We don't. He's grabbing touched and then torturing them and making them into his slaves. Basically, is what it looks like. Oh, maybe. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because he kind of even says that. Yeah, you're right. Okay, that's fair. And then um, Masson, we don't know anything about whether he's working with anybody either. But either way, yeah, that's a curious. Honestly, I don't know if Mal- Malady is working with. Hague. So, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. She could be. We don't know. Maybe yeah. she's even more crazy because he worked with her. I don't know. <laughs> that's true, too. Yeah, and, and also, I don't know if Malady is actually an Alpha or not. Is she Alpha? In the same, when I say Alpha, I mean, is she intelligent enough to be her own person and rule all the herd minions? Or is she just a slave to, like you said, uh, you know, like Edmund Haig or something. Well, and if she is the alpha, she would be a very chaotic alpha. <laughs> would, you know, she rules by might. 
Right, right. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like um, the, the the group that maybe kidnapped Patty Hearst or something like like one of those. Yeah, people. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Cyanese Underground or whatever the hell they call them. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, now, jokingly, uh, last night I texted you and, and co-host Kevin, who will join us in the next episode, that Malady was the real hero. Now, that obviously was was just to be a wise guy, but um, <laughs> but there's no doubt that she has been uh, treated like crapola because even if she is mentally insane, even prior to the touch, and she was going into the sanitarium at that time three years earlier. And it could have been legitimate. We know back in 1896, sanitariums weren't a good place. I mean, that's why, where the word bedlam comes from, right? Bedlam right. was, a, was yep. a bad place. It was in the UK. And people who landed in these places were were, were pretty much killed. Um, yeah, like, we, like for example, we had a... Uh, my, my father didn't even know this until he was much older. But... He had an uncle that he didn't even know about. So there was five sisters, his mother and four others. And then there was an uncle, a six, that he didn't know about. And that uncle had some sort of um, behavioral health issue. I mean, you know, like, like he wasn't he wasn't Down syndrome, but he but he had something, you know, probably didn't have enough air when he was born or something, something like that. And he landed up in one of those places back in the 30s or 40s. And he only lived to like 36 years old. So my guess is the reason he only lived to 36 years old is because he who knows what they did to people back in those days in those institutions. Yep. So. If this is 1899 in the country where the term bedlam was created because of a insane asylum named bedlam, it wouldn't surprise me that she was tortured terribly and was created by the people that did that torturing. Exactly. And that place was part of the system. Exactly. Exactly. So she is what the reaction of the action yep and and example an analogy for that would be if you're at a restaurant and someone comes over to you and spits in your face for no reason or just starts harassing you and then you punch the guy in the head he falls back and cracks his head on the floor and dies you go to jail for second degree murder or third or third degree murder. However, if that guy hadn't done what he did in the first place, you would have never even considered punching the guy and he would still be alive. So your action was only a reaction because of some scumbag. Yep. And you pay the price as much as he does because of him. And so what I'm trying to say here is that if she didn't have these terrible things happen to her and she was treated with dignity and respect that every person deserved, even someone that had behavioral health issues, she may have not become the murderer that she became. Right. 
kind of like um, in the um, second Batman movie where the Joker turns uh, the one guy into um, Two-Face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an excellent example. Yeah, 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 yeah. If he wasn't tortured by by the Joker and the Joker hadn't killed his girlfriend, all those things that happened, he wouldn't have done. Yep. Even even if he was a a pompous ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's a fair point. Um, so yeah, so that that's a curiosity. I'm go, I'm going to be interested to see where they go with Melody, if she's going to be one of those characters that will turn good, or when she is defeated, they'll have pity on her, or something like that, or or will they just make her the bad guy and 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 die? And I don't. I don't think that I think that third one is, is the least likely. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I think there's a lot of possibilities for her character um, to turn good or I mean, it'd be hard to go back from having slit that guy's throat and just mass yeah. slaughtered people. But those changes sometimes happen in TV shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. A lot of shows. Uh, I mean, even Darth Vader, um, you know, they're trying to make him look. Like yeah. Sprout, and, and And I was like. At the you know in re- reality it doesn't matter what he does at the end he mass murdered all the people on Alderaan he he's, he should be executed for, for first degree murder five, yeah you know, two billion times he kills all the younglings <laughs> I mean come on yeah yeah that's another one too. You're right right yeah they have not, nothing to do with with anything if he wants to kill Samuel Jackson's character that fine you know you do what you got to do but the youngins have nothing to do with it. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fair point. So, so yeah, yeah. So you're right. So even if she stops and says, "Oh, what have I done?" It's too late. It's right. like it's like Colonel Nichols. Speaking of of Star Wars, uh, the guy that played Ben Obi Wan Kenobi, um, Alec Guinness was in obviously the bridge on the River Kwai or over the River Kwai, mm-hmm. and he was Colonel Nichols at the end when he fucked everything up, he goes, Oh my gosh, what have I done? You know? And, and it's like, yeah, that's right. Dude, you screwed up. Yeah. You, can't, you, can't, you can't go back. You know, all those people got killed because you, it's fucked up. Right. So yeah, it happens. Um, all right. Uh, anything else we want to discuss or are we, we good to go? Uh, I mean, we could just discuss a little bit more about the, um, the final bad guy we see, the doctor. I mean, so we know he's got this place where he's definitely torturing touch and they put on these masks after he does whatever he does to them. Um, we don't know exactly what he's doing to them. We get a scene with him with one in a chair. Um, and he, and as it leaves the scene, you hear screaming (laughs) and bad noises. (laughs) So we, are we, can we assume that the kidnappers, the ones that wanted to kidnap the the girl that speaks all the tongues at the beginning, those kidnappers are the tortured ones with the masks that he was I, doing? I think they may be, yeah. Yeah. That, oh, and I, that I think, brings up another scene we didn't talk about, the Beggar King, which I thought was a great scene. Oh, yeah, Nick Frost scene. Yeah, that was awesome. So yeah, Amalia right. is uh, is worried that she gets her information from him about where there's other touch that she can get and bring to the orphanage. And she's worried that he gave that information to someone else. So she basically commands him to meet her, which he doesn't like so much. 
um, and threatens her a little bit, but um, they make him a few promises and he moves on. Um, right. And does not do anything bad to them at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically it's, it's a scene to add another character in basically where Amelia and I guess penance too get their information about the touch that they can go and try to save or, or, or like you said, bring back to the orphanage. And it's a scene where we're learning who her underground contact is, who is the bigger King played by Nick Frost. And we're also learning at least, or I should say she's learning whether or not he's a double agent. Well, and she is totally not intimidated by him because he is extremely threatening and she's just kind of blows it off. Yeah. And it could be a number of reasons. It could be because she really isn't threatened by him or she just doesn't care. You know, she's the, she seems like a nihilist a little bit. Yeah. Just, just well, a how, does she, how does she know him? Right. We don't, we don't, yeah, we don't learn the history where they met. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I'm hoping too. we get some background on that because it's an interesting combo, him and her. Um, and he's, yeah. and he is bad because one of his cronies makes fun of him not doing anything to them. I thought we were going to come here and do something to them. And he's like, put out your hand right. <laughs> as if he's going to cut off his fingers or something. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing that he's going, I mean, Nick Frost could play a character. I mean, he, he always gets uh pigeonholed, um, you know, typecast, but I could see him pl- and, and this is the reason why I don't think his character is going to be a villain and he's actually going to turn out to be a, a good guy, assuming his character is more important than just a secondary character, mm-hmm. is because it's Nick Frost. Yeah. I, you know, because Nick Frost is the type of guy, a lovable type actor, and I'm thinking that he's showing meanness and evilness and villainous stuff, but he, I think he's like the Harrison Ford uh, Han Solo character in the show. I agree. Yeah, because he is... I mean, maybe they won't do that, but yeah, that's what I, I, I think so too. I mean, I've always liked him since uh, Shaun of the Dead, but yeah, yeah it's uh, his character's interesting, and I hope we get to see a lot more of him. Indeed, I agree, hundred percent. Yep, absolutely. All right, uh, anything else? I think that's it. I think we've covered all the major scenes and most of the major beats of the episode. Um, I can't think of anything else. I mean, we already talked about the very end where the ship is above because that really it tells you everything that happened before it. <laughs> Who's touched people you didn't know were touched and it changes everything once you see that. Right, right, right. And and again, that's assuming it is a ship. It could be yeah, a living yeah. entity. No, I mean, we don't know. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So it's, 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 it'll be curious. Um, all right. So. Um, yeah, this episode obviously was a little longer than we expected. Uh, a lot of times we do episodes of Halloween Boutique, Psychotronic Reviews, or or whatever, around oddly two hours. But uh, the TV episodes that we used to do usually landed up for only about an hour to an hour and 30 minutes. But again, we were doing the whole intro stuff about you know the Josh Whedon backstory, the, the steampunk backstory, all that before we even got into the show. So I'm assuming our next episode will be a little shorter. Uh, though Kevin may want to give a couple of thoughts on episode one himself. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he's going to have a lot to talk about uh, on steampunk stuff too. Uh, but generally, I'm assuming most of the episodes will be an hour to an hour thirty minutes at most. But who knows? Uh, it depends. Some episodes we we've talked you know two hours. Some episodes we only talk forty five minutes. Depends on how straightforward the episode is, topical issues, and all that other stuff. Um, yep. So yeah. And there was a lot to encompass in this episode because it's the first one and we're just getting all the main characters together. So, Indeed. Yeah. All right. So uh, so that was the pilot. Um, again, we'll, uh, we're recording this on April 18th, 2021. Uh, hopefully it'll be released tomorrow, the 19th. So you'll be listening to this opportunity to start listening to this on the 19th of April, 2021. Our next episode will be released on um april 20th so tuesday april 20th 2021 and then going forward after that it'll be every thursday uh with third episode coming out on the 29th and then the 6th and then the 13th and then the 20th and i think that's it because then it's going on hiatus until probably the fall i guess because there's yeah. six more episodes, but they're oddly breaking it up into they're doing what I guess Walking Dead does, which is splitting one season into a part A and a part B. Big I Sky. Guess. Big Sky did the same thing recently. Yeah, yeah. And that just returned this past week. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I haven't got to see that episode yet either. Ooh, good episode. Oh good. Good to hear. Two it. hours. Really? Oh wow. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to let my wife know that we have to lock up two hours of time. I haven't watched it yet. Um, all right, so uh hope folks will enjoy us. Uh, and you can email us at darkdiscussions at AOL.com. Give us your thoughts on Melody and Missing and Amelia and Penance and Primrose and all the other characters and give us your thoughts on the show, Josh Whedon, anything. We'll, as long as it's uh, not trolling, uh, we're most happy to read all your emails on the episodes. So if you can get this in uh, before the 29th, we'll read uh, all that, all our uh, emails on the 29th that we get. Hopefully we'll get some. Oddly, sometimes we don't even get any uh, emails, and yet we, we have 600 listeners on, on some of our episodes from prior podcasts, and, they, and we still didn't get emails. So we know people are out there. Hopefully some of them will want to join us by sending emails. Um, all right, so uh, with all that stated, uh, once more, darkdiscussions.com is the website. Uh, email is darkdiscussions at AOL.com. We have a Patreon. Just press the button on darkdiscussions.com. And uh, that's pretty much it. So uh, this podcast is once again called Bodices and Corsets. Corsets. Bodices and Corsets. Bodices and Corsets. The Never Podcast. The Nevers Podcast. Bodices and Corsets, the Nevers podcast. So uh, make sure you uh, subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And you can even listen to us, to us on darkdiscussions.com. And with all that stated, Barrett, why don't you do this out? Thanks for joining us. Join us uh, again tomorrow when we uh, cover episode two of The Nevers. Three years ago, everyone at the Touched woke up. The power. Touched are rewriting the rules of reality. I want them under control. 
even if it requires a bloodletting. I will cut your face to a mess. You know, the touched. Yes, they have weird deformities and afflictions. They're unhappy. Well, whatever they are, I think they're a gold mine. You know what a better world could be like. Is that the mission you were going on about? Yes. I do have a mission. And I'm not cut out for it. But it matters. There's a harmony to our world that's worth preserving. The touched are not a threat, yet you seem determined to prove that they are. The church, the purists, they're a danger to us. We have enemies we don't know about yet. <laughs>